Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. You've experienced the, the first day of a retreat. And if this is a new experience for you, um, perhaps it wasn't quite what you had in mind when you signed up. If, uh, if you had a typical first day of a retreat, we are not sadists, by the way. There is a, a value to this. And I just want to talk a little bit about the settling in process and um, what the point is of what we're doing here and what it's leading to. Uh, the first two or three days, um, the main things that happen, or most common experiences, um, include sleepiness, restlessness, aches in the body, and busy mind. Anybody have any of those? If you did your right on schedule, as I mentioned to the group today, it takes a little while to land here, to get here. And the more you understand the process, the more space and patience you have and not think that you're doing something wrong. In fact, it takes about two or three days to, to land here to the point where there, there's stretches of mindfulness, usually. Perhaps not for you. You might have had uh, some clear sittings today, or maybe you just feel really wonderful not having to take care of any other uh, business. But for most people, that adjustment is, um, um, is common and can be challenging, particularly if you haven't done this before. And I know that a, a number of people here for whom this is a new experience. What gets easier as you're more familiar with the process is that, not that that changes, there's still sleepiness, restlessness, and taking a while to land here, but you just know that that's part of the package, and so you're not frustrated by it. <clears throat> I often think of the, uh, the first few days as a kind of fasting. I mentioned this to the group that I saw this afternoon. It's a fasting process where you're fasting from stimulation and activity and busyness. And just like on a fast, when you first start fasting, you feel kind of grumpy or the the, there's a detox process coming out and food looks really good, and, uh, and after a while you kind of clean out and it's so light and, oh, how nice. But it takes a while, and, and so if you're in the middle of that settling in process, um, it's okay. And in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the whole experience that one has to go through. What are we doing here? Oh, this is what I wanted to talk about tonight. Just get down to 
the basics of why we are doing this practice, what it is, and um, what the benefits are, <clears throat> just to give you a little bit of incentive to, to keep on with it. I want to start with the Buddha's discourse upon which all Buddhist meditation is based. I can find the I can find it. Let's see. Here it is. This is called the Satipatthana Sutta or uh, Discourse on Mindfulness. O monks or practitioners, said the Buddha, there is a most wonderful way to help living beings realize purification, overcome directly grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the right path, and realize freedom, liberation. This way is the four foundations of mindfulness. This is what we're doing, the most wonderful way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, sorrow, and fully liberate the heart and the mind. The four foundations of mindfulness. This is a word that you've probably heard and will continue to hear many times, mindfulness. Um, and it's just one kind of meditation. There's lots of different styles of meditation, and I know that some people have come from different backgrounds, devotional or TM or other things like that. And meditation is, uh, is a wonderful um, practice that has many different facets and doorways to get to a place of real depth inside of us. When I first started doing meditation, I had done TM for a number of years, and uh, for a few years, and tried lots of different techniques that, uh, that I'd read about, uh, because I knew I had some intuitive sense that it would be good for me, but I didn't quite know how it worked or why it worked. And then when I was introduced to this practice in 1974, uh, everything kind of fell into place and I knew I had arrived at the practice for me. But as I got more in touch with this one, I started to see that they all have a common denominator, all the different meditation techniques, and that is that they allow us to somehow get beyond the chatter in our minds and the confusions and the thoughts and the fears and the wantings to a place of real connection and wisdom that's there waiting to be discovered or remembered. This style of practice, the heart of it, is mindfulness. And it is one of a number of different style, uh, different um, approaches that all have their common thread of noticing the present moment. Instead of trying to arrive at any particular 
state like deep bliss or um, concentration or develop powers or have anything particular happen, which can happen through TM or certain visualizations or um, staring at uh, at a, a, a flame or some energy center practices, this practice has instead this quality of noticing the present moment, mindfulness. It's very uh, similar to awareness or consciousness. The term that uh, I find helpful when I was first introduced to the practice that I'd like to particularly talk about is the phrase bare attention and to give you a sense of the the scope of how mindfulness works. So bare attention has four aspects that I want to share with you. The first one is to see things clearly as they are. This, by the way, is the definition of the word vipassana. I'm sure you've heard this word. This practice is sometimes called vipassana or insight meditation or mindfulness meditation. Vipassana simply means to see things clearly, to see things as they are. This is not something that we do very easily. We can um, confuse our experience. We can look at it superficially. We can embellish it. Um, I grew up in New York City, as I mentioned last night. And in New York, not just limited to New York, but in New York, people uh, often live in superlatives. This was the most intense day of my life. Right? That was the most boring talk I've ever heard. You know? That is the most fantastic movie. You, know? you ever have somebody tell you about the greatest movie they've ever seen? Well, you see it and you go and you say, well, it was pretty good, but it wasn't the greatest. It doesn't quite measure up. right? Well. When we stretch things, when we, it's like you're squeezing a little bit more out of it to get a little bit more juice. And when we do that, we aren't really connected accurately with what our experience is. This is radical, just calling it like it is. When I first learned a, a language, Spanish in school, remember, after what is your name, como se llama, then, then you'd learn, I think you still do it now, um, uh, como esta usted, right? Como esta usted, how are you? And the answer right in the book is, muy bien, gracias, y usted? Very well, thank you. And you? I never saw a textbook that said, I've had a lousy day today. Right? <laughs> So we're trained. The right answer is, oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And as probably we say most of the time, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. 
You know, we might be dying inside, I'm fine. Or maybe we don't even realize we are, and we say, oh, fine. Now, of course, you're not going to spill your guts to everybody who asks you, but to get in touch with what's really going on is the first step towards really seeing the truth and opening up in a wise and um, kind and compassionate way to your reality. So when you're sitting here, when you're sitting and what you notice is you're bored, it doesn't have to be this is the most boring hour I've ever spent in my life. Maybe it feels like that, but maybe it's just, oh, this is boring. Or, oh, this is calm. Oh, this is peaceful. Or, oh, this is um, an ache in my shoulder. This is what's happening. That's the beauty of the practice. That's why I said last night, there's no failing it, because whatever happens is okay. It's just what hap- what's happening. And so the idea is to see it clearly, and then you can relate wisely to it. Now, another way of, that I have of translating that seeing clearly is um, listening, listening carefully. Because in the listening, it's not so much that you're um, you're distanced from it, and you're not going out to grab anything. There's a quality of listening. I think of the meditation, the mindfulness practice, is learning to listen more and more to the truth in this moment. And as we practice that with our physical sensations or our uh, mental experiences, we can listen more and more subtly and skillfully to the truth that's inside that often gets obscured by all the other static. There's a, the Tibetan um, great yogi Milarepa, uh, who maybe you've heard of, who would, he sat away in, in a cave for years and years and years and lived on pine needles and uh, nettles and was really tough yogi. In fact, when somebody asked him, what the secret of his practice was, he, he pointed to his butt, which is fully calloused, and he said, that's it. Right? <clears throat> but Milarepa has, uh, when you see him in tankas, he has his hand to his ear. There's a, the 100,000 songs of Milarepa, and uh, what, what he's doing is just listening to the truth. And so as we learn to quiet down enough and not get confused by everything that's going on to really see or open up to what's here, we can hear the truth inside. So this is the first thing, seeing clearly or listening honestly to what our experience is. Second aspect of this bare attention or mindfulness is learning more and more to be here in the present moment. This is not where many of us spend a lot of time. Have you noticed how much of the time we're 
toppling forward to, oh, I wonder what the next sitting is going to be like as you're doing walking meditation, or reviewing the last one, or thinking about tomorrow when you leave the retreat, or what you came from. Usually the, the way uh, the, uh, the process goes for many people is when you come in the retreat, you're kind of thinking about what you left behind, you know, your relationships, your job, you know, did I turn off the gas, like that. In the middle, it's kind of what's for lunch, you know, <laughs> and towards the end, it's where you're going back to, you know. The mind has this amazing capacity to be a little bit ahead, or a lot ahead, or a little bit behind, or a lot behind, and every now and then, it's here in the present moment, usually because it's a peak experience or something dramatically calls our attention that says, wake up. And the rest of the time we're kind of floating in and out, in and out. That's why it takes a while to land here because we're not used to being here. But this is where life is happening, isn't it? Everything else is secondhand. If you want to experience connection with others, right here, right now. If you want to appreciate the beauty of nature around you, it's one thing to remember what it was like, but it's quite another to be here as you're experiencing it, instead of remembering the last time that you were in nature and how beautiful it was and how this compared to that. Here it is, right here. If you love music, if you um, enjoy your food, the best way to be with it is right here, right now. And it takes a little practice to come into being here. This is from Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm sure many of you familiar with wonderful Vietnamese meditation master and poet and activist. He has this, um, this teaching on washing dishes. He says, to my mind, the idea that doing dishes is unpleasant can occur only when you aren't really doing them. Once you're standing in front of the sink with your sleeves rolled up and your hands in the warm water, it is really quite pleasant. I enjoy taking my time with each dish, being fully aware of the dish, the water, and each movement of my hands. I know that if I hurry in order to eat dessert sooner, the time of washing dishes will be unpleasant and not worth living. That would be a pity for each minute each second of life is a miracle. The dishes themselves and the fact that I'm here washing them are miracles. If I'm incapable of washing dishes joyfully, if I want to finish them quickly so I can go and have dessert, I will be equally incapable of enjoying my dessert. With the fork in my hand, I will be thinking about what to do next, and the texture and the flavor of the dessert together with the pleasure of eating it, will be lost. I will always be dragged into the future, never able to live in the present moment. 
each thought, each action in the sunlight of awareness becomes sacred. I must confess it takes me a bit longer to do the dishes, but I live fully in every moment and I'm happy. Isn't that a beautiful way to live life? We don't usually have the luxury of having an environment where everything is set up for you to live fully in every moment. But this is a kind of training ground to see that possibility. And when you become familiar with and arrive in the present moment, there is a perspective on reality that shifts everything else and sometimes is so compelling that this is where you want to keep living even when you go home. Now, clearly, it's not so easy to have that pace and that slow measure where you can live fully and not be pulled into the, the speed and momentum of our lives. But the more we realize that here we are, and everything else, the more we're pulled into the future, we're missing out on our life, the more we can practice and train ourselves to actually do that. See, it's worthwhile. Being in the present, and I want to just underscore the word being in the present. Not doing the present, not making the present happen. That really, when we are being present, it is simply awareness that can receive the experience as it is. There is no great struggle or strain to simply be. It does require a continual commitment these first days to come back and find where the present is. But once you're here, the present is effortless. And any kind of doing, other than simply opening up and receiving this moment, takes us out of that mode of being. So it, it's really a quality of relaxing into or resting in the present moment, not toppling forward, not holding on to anything, but simply allowing ourselves to receive what's here right now. And this is the second aspect of bare attention. Seeing clearly what's here, being in the present moment. The third aspect of this bare attention mindfulness is something that starts to become revealed as we are here more and more. And that is that the present moment is constantly changing. This might not seem like news to you, but when you have an experience, a direct experience, of how things are changing, moment after moment after moment, it 
it's no longer just an idea, just an intellectual concept. It is your actual, direct, gut, embodied, visceral understanding. It's really true. Everything is changing. We forget this when we get caught. When we get caught in unpleasant situations, you ever have that feeling of thinking, uh-oh, now I really am caught. Now I'm really stuck. There's not going to be any way out of this. That's when we get really frightened and we press the panic button. Uh-oh, I'm really stuck now. The more you have your own verified experience that things change, the less frightened you are of opening up to what's here right now, because it's not going to last. And so there's more of a willingness and a courage to meet this moment and see how I can relate to it wisely, what I can learn from it, how I can stretch myself and not be driven by fear. It's okay to feel what's here. It's the last thing we want to do when things are unpleasant, isn't it? We want to get out. But what happens when we try to get out of our heads? We're carrying around our heads with, them, with us wherever we, we go. So the more you try to run away from something, the more it's got you. It's like if I say, don't think about a pink elephant right now. Get it out of your head. Is it out? The more you try to push something away, the more life you give it, and so it becomes your reality. Whereas if you can simply be with it without any kind of struggle, it is what it is, and it's workable. And that is the same with our thoughts, or our emotions, or our body sensations. Oh, this too. Knowing that it changes gives us courage and faith that we can be with it. In the same way, when something is really sweet, delicious, suppose you sit down and magically you're clear and you're calm, or you're even happy and joyful. Mmm, wow, I finally got it together. I think I've got this meditation stuff figured out. Yeah. And when the mind says, yes, this is the way it's supposed to be, we forget that things change. But when we have the understanding that everything changes, while we're in the middle of those sweet experiences, it makes sense to be fully here with them, knowing that they're going to change. Right? But you don't want to be anticipating the change or trying to hold on to it. You just be here with it, and now here, and now here, and now here, and at some point it goes, and you are able to let go gracefully, not thinking, what did I do wrong to blow it? 
because that's the nature of reality. Things come and go. They change. It all changes. And the more you try to hold on to experience, that very contraction doesn't allow you to experience it fully. The more you're looking forward to the next thing, you can't be here for what's here right now. I, my, I was just with my wife uh, last week. We're, we went away and uh, we're celebrating our anniversary. And we were talking about just the, the interesting tricks that the mind plays on itself. And uh, she said something that was so beautiful. I'm sorry I didn't bring it in because uh, I wrote it down in my room. But let's see if I can paraphrase her. She says, she said, sometimes I think if I get something else, I'll be happier when all I really need to do to be happy is to settle back and experience this moment the way it is. It's that thinking, oh, that'll make me happier, that keeps us from fully connecting with what's here right now. And when we know for ourselves, as you're, going to, as you're finding out and doing this process that things change, there is more of an appreciation for the beauty when it's here without holding on to it, or a fear that we, it'll stay if you're trying to let it go. How many different thoughts have you had today? Thousands, 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 50,000, 100,000. Know. The Buddha said supposedly there's 17 trillion mind moments he counted in the blink of an eye. I don't know how he counted that, but that's what they say. And what happens, what's really fascinating, is when the mind quiets down, sometimes you think it's going to be really quiet, and then you see layers of mental activity that you didn't even know were there. I used to think when I was doing this practice right, I'd sit down and somehow be like this giant vacuum cleaner would come and just suck all the thoughts away, and I'd be blank. It doesn't work like that. And the more you try to clear your mind, the more you're engrossed in that activity. Whereas if you just settle and allow all the thoughts to come and go as they do, no problem at all. All the thoughts come and go, all the moods. How many different moods have you had today? Maybe not thousands, but quite likely dozens at least. You know, oh, gee, it's nice being here. Oh, this is not so fun. Oh, that's kind of nice again. Oh, it's so beautiful being out in the country. Oh, God, the weather is kind of cold. You know, how many different places your heart, your emotions, your moods go? They're all changing. And there's no one place that you can say, oh, that's me. It's all a fluid process. How many different sensations have you had? You know, all over the place. And that's where you are directly seeing the truth of impermanence. You sit down, and one moment after another, here's a thought, there's a thought, 
there's the breath, there's another thought, there's a sound, there's a sensation, there's another thought, there's another thought, there's another thought, there's a sound. There's All over you see one moment after another. Things are constantly changing. And as you more and more see that directly, that's your own understanding of impermanence. And it's a very profound understanding. As you carry that more into your life, then you're willing to be with things when they get hard and have the resources and tools to do that. And you are able to appreciate the sweetness without thinking that it's going to stay or thinking you can control it that way. So noticing how things are changing. Seeing clearly, being here in the present, noticing how the present changes. And then the fourth aspect of this bare attention, what makes it bare attention, is noticing our experience without adding on our editorial comment about what we think should be happening, otherwise known as the judging mind. Well, kind of all over the map now. I don't know when I'm going to get together. You know, my mind's got to settle down sooner or later. Or, oh yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be, whatever it is. That judging is extra. And it wears us out because what it does is set up certain expectations of how we think the moment is that is either met or not. Life is either passing our test or failing it. Or we're passing our test or often failing it. It is a tremendous gift to learn to not judge what's happening. This is not so easy to do. I remember when I was uh, in my uh, college days and younger days, I used to go to parties, right? I'd be by myself and just wondering who was there at the party. And I'd kind of perch myself up in the corner of the ceiling, kind of scoping out the situation, you know. Oh, you know, there's the, there's my rival. There's the loser. There's the intellect. There's the whatever it was. I had everybody kind of pegged my own category. I don't know if I was right or not, but it was complete paranoia because if I was wondering, if I was thinking who they were, the next obvious thing: how am I coming off? Right? That judging mind just keeps us separate from everyone else and from life. And when I first heard about this practice, uh, one day it dawned on me that awareness with judging, there's a lot of self-consciousness. But awareness without judging there's simply consciousness and not self-consciousness. There's no referring back to self and how am I doing, because that's often what the judging is about. And that letting go of that extra 
component of self is tremendously freeing. So you might think, oh, the idea then is to just not judge anymore. Well, um, I have some news for you, some bad news and some good news. The bad news is that um, it's almost impossible to turn off the judging in the mind. And the good news is that until you're a fully enlightened being, you will have judgment in the mind. So even at the third stage of enlightenment, there's judging. So if you are judging, you're no higher than third stage, but you've got a lot of company. And even better news is that there's a way to work with the judging mind. And here's the secret. You don't need to judge the judging mind. You're sitting here, you pay attention or try to pay attention. Okay. In, out, in, out. And then after a while you find that you've been gone for a long while. And then you realize, oh, God, I've been thinking. And then you realize, oh, that was a judgment. I'm not supposed to judge. And then you just realize you did it again. Oh, that was another judgment. And you can heap on one on top of another 15, 100 layers of judgment. I did it again, another judgment, until you realize oh, it's just judging in the mind. And the moment you realize that it's simply a habit of mind, you don't have to believe the judgment. It's just judging. And so the key to working with the judging mind is to be very kind with it. And instead of beating yourself up like a a sledgehammer, Darn it, come on, let's get it together. Or, oh, judging, judging. You know, we use mental noting. Judging. (laughs) Judging. (laughs) Judging. If you shift the tone, you have a whole different relationship to it. This is something that I, I often share on retreats. When we get to including mind states. You can formally include it in the, in the instructions, but just now it can give you a tool for the judging mind. Just suppose you saw yourself in a judging frenzy. Right? Try this. Put your hand on your cheek. Just try it right now. Okay? Close your eyes, and as you caress your cheek in the kindest possible way, silently say to yourself, judging, judging, like it's okay, judging. Just let yourself feel it once. It's as if Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of compassion, is doing the noticing, judging. Okay? Can you feel that? You feel that? That's how you want to notice the judging mind. 
And if you do it that way, then every time you've gotten caught in a judgment gives you an opportunity to practice compassion. Because there is that place of Kuan Yin Yin, right inside of you. just needs some inviting. And changing the tone of the note will change your relationship to your experience. So, being kind with yourself is really a key to this whole practice. The key moment, I mentioned this in the, in the group uh, this afternoon, just want to share with you, particularly around the judging mind, the key moment that I see as the whole practice is the moment that you realize you've been lost. Because you're either here in the present wisely and clearly, or you're lost in your thoughts or in your judgments about how the present should be. So the moment that you realize you're lost, you've got some options. There's not much you can do while you're lost, is there? Right? You might be gone, you know, there you were gone for five seconds or 15 seconds or 20 minutes, you're gone. Right? And then at some point you might realize, oh, meditating, this is what we're doing. It helps to be in a room full of you know, 60 people, oh, meditating. At that point, you've got some different ways that you can respond to the fact that you've been lost in thought. One very common response is, darn it, there I was, lost. Let's get back here and do this right. But you can hear in that the discouragement and the frustration and the judgment with that response. Really, all you're doing is cultivating discouragement, frustration, and judging, along with a little bit of awareness. So that's not the one to go for. A second very common response when you realize you've been gone, oh, I've been lost in thought, but this is a really interesting thought. Let me just go with this one for a little while. And what you do, you've bitten the bait when you go, and you've just gotten hooked by your thoughts. Oh, let me go. This is the important one. This is the answer I've been looking for. This is, and you're gone. And from that profound thought, it has a way of spinning out into finally, you know, oh, you know, what's for lunch? Or, gee, did I bring soap? Or something equally deep. You don't generally stay with profound profundity for a long time. So it takes some resolve not to get seduced by your thoughts. The recommended response when you realize you've been lost, when you've been wandering, instead of feeling frustrated and discouraged because you've been gone, Take delight in the fact that you've just come back to the present moment. Ah, you're finally here. Why spend time beating yourself up for being gone? You've just gotten gone again, right? 
oh, here we are again. Great. My friend Sylvia has a, uh, a way of saying, of uh, an instruction. She says, when you notice, just see, have you been breathing in or breathing out? And let go of the whole, the whole dance wherever you've been. That's one way to do it. However, the key is to just bring yourself back with kindness, with patience, forgiveness, if there's any kind of judgment, just a sincere intention to be here once again. And that encounter with the wandering mind, you're cultivating kindness and patience and, um, and presence, really. So it doesn't matter how many times you've been lost in the, in the middle of, in the course of one meditation, if you've been gone a hundred times, it means you've brought yourself back 99 times at least. And if you can bring it back with that kind awareness, everything opens from there because you're practicing kindness and the intention to be present. Okay, so this is the, these are the different aspects of bare attention. Seeing clearly, being in the present, noticing how things change, and not getting caught in the judging, or not judging the judging. <clears throat> now I just want to talk a bit about what the value is of doing this. Because maybe your fantasies are more interesting than washing the dishes, you might think to yourself. What would be the payoff of being present? There's a lot of payoffs. We could spend the rest of the retreat talking about the different benefits of mindfulness. I'll just mention a few. First, as you try to pay attention to the present moment, something becomes very clear very soon. And that is that the mind is completely out of your control. Have you noticed that? Now, this might sound like bad news. It's actually great news to know that you don't have control over your mind. Because if you don't have control, then why blame yourself for what comes through it? It's just doing its own thing. You don't have to take responsibility for what comes through your mind. If you had control over your mind, you'd probably have loving, beautiful, saint-like thoughts throughout the day. But a few others creep in there, have you noticed, from time to time. You, know, you don't say, gee, I could go for some rage right now. It just comes on its own. How about insecurity? Yeah, I could let's have some insecure thoughts. No. They just come. Okay? So if they come on their own, it's a tremendous relief to realize you don't need to take ownership of them. All on their own. And what happens as you get this, and some people get it sooner than others, the sooner you get it, the more 
you'll eliminate a whole lot of hassle that you don't have to take ownership for your thoughts. As you get it, you start taking your thoughts a little less seriously. A lot less seriously. You know, you can have any, imagine having any thought in the world and not being bothered by it. Like, I feel like blowing up this planet. Oh, that's an interesting one that just popped through. Then it doesn't matter. But if you take ownership, if you think, oh, I shouldn't have that thought, then you're afraid of being found out. Oh, if they only knew what was going on in this mind, you know, nobody would like me. And the corollary to that is taking ownership for the wonderful thoughts that come through. You know, hey, that was a really neat one. Check it out. You know, hey, I'm a pretty neat guy. It's just one step away. There's a a saying in India, even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe from believing their thoughts just like that. But the corollary to that is no matter what thought you've had, as soon as you see it clearly, oh, it's just thinking, it's just a thought bubble that arose, then you're here and you're free again. You're clear. So, Not taking your thoughts quite so seriously is a huge benefit. A second one, as you sit here and you notice throughout the course of the 45 minutes or the hour, things are unfolding and you've gone 10 different places in your mind to Hawaii or to the hell realms or to who knows where, and then the sitting ends and you're still here. where did all of that take place? You know, what did you have to do to get back to here? Nothing. Oh, it's happening on its own. I don't need to control reality. It's just happening as it does. And there's more of a sense of trust that things are unfolding as they are. And when you can trust and let go of control, then you can see clearly and respond wisely to the moment instead of thinking you've got to fix it. It's up to you to make it happen. You know those times when you just kind of feel in a rhythm on a roll in your life? They're not usually because you're controlling things. Until you have the thought, "Uh uh-oh, how do I keep this going? At which point the whole thing stops. But when you can just be here as things unfold and trust in that unfolding, then you're in that flow. Another aspect of the the practice, the way it works, as you start to pay attention and you see everything in there, the confusions, the fears, the beauty, the love, the wisdom, the boredom, You see the whole show and you see how easy it is to believe your thoughts and get lost. You have compassion for yourself and for this predicament. Like I was saying last night, this fathom-long body becomes your laboratory. And the more you understand this predicament, the more you see we're not so different. All of us, we're not so different at all. And that sense of connection 
where the barriers between us and everybody else are lifted is what we usually call love. When there's no separation, there's nothing in the way. So mysteriously enough, just lifting your foot and putting it down or feeling a breath, an in-breath and an out-breath or hearing a sound and knowing that you're hearing, it begins to open up the heart to your own being and to the commonality that we share. And love and compassion are natural byproducts of this practice. You know, the buildings, metta, karuna, mudita, upekka, loving kindness and compassion, joy and equanimity, those are all natural byproducts of this practice. Just by being mindful, as the Buddha said, overcoming sorrow, lamentation, grief, and fear, just by being mindful, your heart opens. And there's a, a place of peace that you can find right in the middle of it. Maybe place isn't the right word. There is opening up to the peace that has always been there, but gets obscured by confusion and thoughts and fears and wantings. Oh, it's here right all along, that place that you've been looking for. It's not out there. It's in here in meeting each moment with kindness and compassion and wisdom that just sees clearly. That leads to that kind of freedom and unshakable liberation that the Buddha talked about. So it might not seem very profound, but every single moment that you are mindful, you're undercutting the conditioning of confusion and grasping and fear and aversion. Every single moment that you're mindful, you are cultivating presence, an openness to the moment, and a deep peace that's here, available. Every single moment counts. That's my mantra when I'm practicing. Every single moment of mindfulness counts. Because you're planting the seed that sprouts in its own time, just the intention to be present you will see, no guarantees, but you will see over the course of the days, if you bring yourself back each time with a kindness and an intention to be here for this moment, it unfolds all on its own. So let's sit here for a few moments together to share the silence. No trying to make anything happen. Just let the awareness rest in this moment as it is receive whatever is here right now.
Thank you. Thank you for your attention. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on August 28, 2003. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.